Merrill Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's edition of the Merrill Memo. Well of course it's been another very, very busy week here in the Dubbo region. But let's find out what's going on this week and I thought in this week, Matt, we might have a bit of a chat about what's happening over there in Wellington and of course to find out the latest update on the Little Athletics Carnival that's taking place this weekend coming up and of course any planning that might be happening in regards to the upcoming Dubbo Regional Budget or our Dubbo Regional Area Budget for that matter. Matt, how are you this morning, mate? Yeah, very good, thank you. Thanks for coming along and chatting to me again. I do enjoy talking about a summary of what happens. You don't think sometimes that you've done a, much, uh, done a lot in a certain week. You think, oh, it didn't seem like it was that busy a week. I managed to get home before 10 o'clock at night sometimes and didn't start Jeez, until 7am. That's a rarity for you, isn't it? <laughs> 10 o'clock <laughs> at night, eh? Early to bed that night, uh, was it? Right. Absolutely. But it, it, sometimes you just go, oh, I don't think I did much this week. Then I sit down to put a bit of a list of the things that you've mm. done during the week and go, oh, wow, there was still a lot that happened. Even though you think it might have been a quieter week in the region, there's still a lot that happened and obviously way more than we've got time to talk well, about. Well, I can tell you this, mate. I, I can when Every week when I come here and sit down with you and we sit down and look through that list, I get tired just reading through the list. <laughs> Even if it was a quiet week for you, I still get tired just reading through it. Well, it's funny because we have each council meeting, we have a list of the mayoral appointments, mm. something that I used to do in the old council, wasn't being done for the last few years, but we've reintroduced it again. And one of the things, or it was started actually before my time on council, and one of the reasons it was done was just to give fellow councillors, to give the community an idea of the sort of activities that the mayor was up to. Mm. And you don't put internal meetings in, you don't put that you met with someone, a director of infrastructure to go and talk about something there. It's, it's really external meetings. And I know just about every month when that goes through, there'll be one councillor say, I had a look through this week, a bit like you said, mm. I just read what you did this month and I'm tired. So yeah, absolutely, that's right. Yeah. There's a lot of things there. And one of the things I have really noticed since I've come back has been that the amalgamation, obviously we've now got 7,500 mm. square kilometres. It's a bigger area and there's yes. more that happens. So even if it might be quiet in Dubbo for a day, there's stuff going on in Wellington. So yeah. it is bigger, there's more to do, and yes, yeah. you just got to suck it up and keep going. Well, I'm glad you mentioned uh, Wellington there, mate. We're going to talk a lot about uh, Wellington today. There's a fair bit happening down there in Wellington. Mm. But before we get to that, how good was last weekend? Yeah, it was fantastic. The feedback has been really positive reading the social media site for the New South Wales Touch, mm. hundreds of comments, literally hundreds of comments about how good an event it was. Mm. And people are saying things like, Dubbo's got my vote for 2024. Wonderful. I'm not sure the individual players or parents or teams get a vote. I assume mm. the board of New South Wales Touch makes a decision, but mm. I hope they'll take on board all that feedback that we've had. The bid process hasn't opened yet, but I've already right. talked to the CEO of New South Wales Touch about that because obviously we'll be very keen to put another bid in for that because it'll be a three-year bid again. This one, as we explained last week, was a three-year bid, but Port Macquarie had it for the first two years and then yeah. the third year they had it taken away from them because of the weather that they had in the first couple of years. So we only had it for one year, but we'll put a bid in again for the next three years. Fantastic. And if our performance is anything to go by, if the performance of our businesses mm. and our community and Dubbo Touch and our staff and all the rest mm. of it, it anything to go by at all, then we're a shoe-in. But of course, it'll be a very competitive process because any community wants that. And I know yeah. that some communities, we talked about it, that we didn't put up any cash at all. Dubbo Touch were very generous. They provided $10,000 New South Wales Touch. But Dubbo Regional Council didn't put up any cash at all. I know there are some councils who will put up $100,000, maybe right. even more, right. in cash to New South Wales Touch to try and entice them to bring it to that community. We believe there's more value for our ratepayers in mm. not providing cash 
but in making it easy for New South Wales touch. Mm. It worked this time. We'll see how it goes next well, time. Well, it certainly looked like it down there. Just as a, a spectator point of view, mm. um, going down there and watching a couple of the games, it was run magnificently well. Yeah. And the weather was beautiful. It looked spot on. As I said last week, it felt like I was at some sort of an Olympic standard event. <laughs> it, it really did have that wonderful feel about it. And, yeah. and certainly the people I spoke to around Dubbo really appreciated and enjoyed the company of the uh, people coming in as well. And spoke a few of the tourists who came along and they certainly appreciated all the efforts as well. So yeah. well done to everybody involved. It was a fantastic weekend. Well, one pub told me they did 900 nighttime meals over the three days wow. of the event. That's so massive, that's, isn't it? That sounds pretty good, yeah. yeah, so, yeah. yeah good result overall and as you say, a lot of people contributed to a great outcome. Fantastic. Well, Mate, look, let's get jump into it in regards to Wellington. We talked about Wellington at the top of the program here, and there are a few things today I'd like to talk to you about in regards to Wellington. Some good stuff too, fun stuff, exciting stuff to be honest. I notice here that uh, the top of the agenda here today is the Wellington Antique Engine Society Incorporated. Now, it may sound like a bit of an interesting one, but of course, there's something down there that they have which is pretty special, and that's the Fowler Steam Engine. Now, during the week, it looks like you went down there and had a chat to these guys in regards to the steam engine. Now, it's Interesting one to start at the top of the program, because normally we're talking about roads and uh, heavy-duty type thing, but I do love the fact we're starting this with, uh, for these guys, very, very passionate, I'd suggest, in regards to the Fowler Steam Engine. And, of course, this is all part of this weekend down there with the, uh, the the big antique show that's been happening out there at the race course. So tell me about it. What did you do? So the good old Fowler Steam Engine is very well known in Wellington. You talk to anyone in Wellington and say the Fowler Steam Engine, they'll know about it, they'll have some information about it, or they might have sat on it, they might have mm. seen it in operation, they might have watched it go past in a street parade, for example. It was actually used as, and it is related to roads, because it was actually used for road construction purposes. It used ah, to have a, okay, an right. old hopper out the back, and it used to Can be Can we bring it out now, right now? Or well, what? I did actually think that would be a nice option to use it. It's probably a bit slower and probably doesn't use the same methodologies. Well, I have a feeling maybe a few of the blokes out there may not have been real impressive. That was probably an idea. <laughs> no, I, I don't think it's really designed to, to be put to work now. It was built yes. in 1910, wow. so very historical in terms yeah. of its actual operation. And it's I've stood on it, I've sat yes. on it, what, yeah. not while it's been driving, but while it's been in operation in terms of burning and yeah. producing steam and ready to So it still go. works really well, obviously. From the and that's the thing, they've, had, they've actually restored it so it does work and you mm. can drive it, but it's a fairly expensive process. So mm. we basically had the discussion, we've got a few options. Mm. Option one could be that we could mothball it, put it on display somewhere for people to come and look at it, see this wonderful old machine, but never ever contemplate starting it or driving it. Mm. That's obviously the cheapest option because you don't have to keep maintaining it, mm. but was that the best option? And we talked about that. And again, you've got to weigh up the value to the community and versus the cost of actually running it. The second option was a hybrid option where you could do that, but not quite mothball it, you could start it up and run it and show what it operated like, but not actually drive it. So mm. still have it tucked away somewhere safe, have some sort of enclosure for it that would protect it, keep it for perpetuity, mm. but not actually go out and drive it. And the third option, which is the preferred option for the Wellington Antique Engine Society, and it seems like many people you speak with in Wellington, is that you have it on display somewhere, but it can be driven out of there and used in various events, both in Wellington and in other areas. Okay. And one of the crucial questions that I asked the group as we sat through the meeting was, if we did that, there's obviously a much higher cost to maintain that because you've mm. then got moving parts, mm. you've got to maintain it, you've got to make sure it's roadworthy, you've got to go through and do various checks on it. So there's a cost. Now, that's a cost to council, therefore a cost to ratepayers. Can we offset that cost, for example, 
by charging various events that we might take it to to have it on display. So you'd like to see this wonderful old steam engine from 1910, mm. then we're going to have to charge you, pick a figure, I don't know what's reasonable, $200 a day, $500 a day, I'm yeah. not sure, to have that as an attraction. Or maybe you just take it to various events around and then to come and have a look at it, you've got a gold coin donation, but some way of generating income. All of this is to be decided. The outcome from the meeting was really we're going to get a conservator who's going to look at that and give us some detailed information to say, here's how much it would cost you on an annual basis to have it mothballed and never touched. Here's how much it's going to cost mm. to keep it running, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And then once we've got that data, we can then talk to the Wellington Antique Engine Society, talk to the community in general mm. and say, here are your options. So let's be extreme. Let's say it was going to cost you half a million dollars a year to maintain it, to drive around on a street parade every now and again and take some of the shows, you probably would say it's not worth spending half a million dollars a year on. If it was $1,000 a year to maintain it and have it driven around, you'd probably say, fantastic, let's do that. Mm. The answer is going to be somewhere in between those sure. figures. I've, I've sure. taken two extremes there. Yeah, yeah. But again, this is where we're at because it's a wonderful piece of Wellington's history. Obviously, we don't want to lose it and we won't lose it. It's just what form it will be kept in. And that's the real challenge for the advocates mm. in the community. It's the real challenge for our staff and the real challenge for councillors who ultimately will decide what happens with the Wellington Fowler or the, the it's, I suppose it's owned by Wellington, but it's owned by the Aboriginal Council, yeah. but the Fowler steam engine. The thing Bri- built by the British firm okay. John Fowler & Co. It's actually interesting. I uh, There's a bigger picture sort of point of discussion, I think, around this as well. And, and that is the nature of... These type of situations and how council involves themselves in this situation, almost like a business plan, even at the, the level like this, whereby there has to be a costing, there has to a process has got to go through in regards to, you know, is it worthwhile? As you say, three steps there, three options there. You've got you have to sort of work through these, and that probably just applies for so many areas of council these days. Well, I'd be disappointed if we sat around a meeting and we just let our passion overtake our logic, which sometimes happens. Oh, we want to keep this and have it running all the time. But then you look at the cost of that and it's difficult. And again, I don't know the number, but if the cost was ridiculous and we didn't analyse that, Mm. the cost might be ridiculous. And you're really saying to ratepayers, you're paying for this for it to be used four times a year, if that's all you did. So there's all of those options. And we want to investigate if it could be used at other shows. I think that'd be fantastic. So that if you can put it on a trailer and drive it to other various shows that might be happening within, I don't know, a There's lots of regional Congress. shows, aren't there? Yeah, that the sort of too. thing. Yeah. If you could do that and share this bit of history mm. with other places around there while still protecting it, again, the more you use it, the more you're wearing it out, the more mm. maintenance costs mm. you're going to impose. Mm. So you, you're weighing all that up. But that's, I think, really important. I do see people on council, in business, just in life sometimes, making decisions without the data. And I maybe I go too far the other way, but I like to see the data to make the decision because I don't think you can make a good decision without the data if you let that passion mm. overrun everything. And sometimes you might make a decision based on passion, but yeah, you're dealing with other people's money here. Yeah. I can't make a decision based on passion when I'm spending your money to basically mm. satisfy my passionate needs. Yes, yes. Another interesting one here, a uh, Matt Developers Forum. Now... Talk me through this. This is, uh, I'm imagining here, looking through, uh, this is something that's come back in. This is something that's been reintroduced that uh, hasn't been in existence for a while. Uh, but it used to be around, I think, but it's now back on deck again. And this, 
um, is an opportunity here, I think, for to sort of talk to the listeners here about what actually is the Developers Forum. What is that? And you had one during the week, apparently. Yeah, and one of the things that we did way back in the old Denver City Council days was I used to meet with developers and they used to say, oh, we want to do these things and your staff keep stopping us doing it. And then I'd speak to our staff and they'd say, we want to really see Dubbo go ahead, but these developers keep putting in non-compliant DAs. Mm. And I sat back and thought about it and I went, I feel like I'm a bit of the meat and the sandwich here. I've got the two sides both complaining about the other side by themselves. Get the together somehow. That's right. They seem yeah. like reasonable, sensible people trying to do things. Let's put them together. So I came up with this concept of a developer's forum. And the idea was, if you're involved in the development industry in Dubbo, we want you to come along and have a forum setting in an informal atmosphere where you can have a discussion with staff, with other developers, with people involved in the development industry, so builders or banks or solicitors, everyone that's involved in so the whole So anybody's involved in the development of just land or, or what's, what's the scenario? Really, here? buildings, land, okay. just developing Dubbo. Just developing Dubbo, full stop, okay. And so we did that and I know it started off with people coming along and not really sure what was happening and mm. we would get some of our council staff to give a bit of an update on some various projects that were happening from our point of view, planning, zoning, that type of thing. Mm. Sometimes we'd get a developer to give a bit of an update on their development and so we started to get these forums going along and the feedback I started getting from both our staff and developers was that they were building better relationships and better understanding mm. of the whole game. Yeah. Now, I've actually talked about these forums in Sydney at right. different conferences in the past, and there were people in audiences there that were highly critical of what I was doing. Okay. And they said, you shouldn't be putting developers in the same room as councillors and council staff. They're worried about some sort of corruption exactly happening here? Exactly right. You know, it just looks like you're breeding corruption. And my comeback to that was, if I'm a corrupt staff member or a corrupt developer starting to pass around brown paper bag, bags in a room of 50 people probably means I'm going to be caught or not that smart. So mm. I don't really <laughs> see that risk. Mm. And if you think that just having this forum and having Mary meet Billy means there's going to suddenly be corruption amongst them, well, if there's going to be corruption there, it's going to be corruption there without mm. a forum. Mm. I actually think it develops better relationships, stronger relationships, but more importantly, you sometimes as a developer and a staff member or even as a counsellor, you're sometimes sitting around a table in maybe a slightly confrontational manner because mm. you're trying to get some development through and, and yeah. you're getting some pushback about some laws or zoning or whatever it might be, yeah. having that discussion in an informal setting means that you can actually have a bit more respect for the other person. So then when you do get to those situations where you've got plans on the table and you're trying to get something through, yeah. you've actually got a relationship. Now, I'm not saying you've got a corrupt relationship, yeah. but yeah. it doesn't have to be a corrupt relationship. You can have a relationship on with someone and still disagree on something and still have an understanding of each other. But if you've got a bit of respect for the other person, you're yeah. more likely to have oh, better absolutely. discussions. But the other thing we like to do, and so basically mm. we had them in the old WC council days, the amalgamation happened, they all stopped. I, I think they might have held one of them, but they haven't been going basically for the last seven years. And right. some of the Brilliant ideas I'm having for this time around as mayor are really just the same ideas I had last time, but <laughs> timing is always the, that's it. the People magic. tend to forget these sort of that's things. Right, oh, the it's new again. Yeah, that's good. So we, we started them again, which was great. We've held yeah. this one. But one of the things we did with this one was a bit of a catch-up. So we gave developers in the room a bit of an idea about some of the things that are happening, 
from an economic perspective, but also from a development perspective. And so can I ask you in regards to that? So is that this council run or do you get up and speak or who, who actually runs and ch- is it chaired or no, how, how so does it actually work? We try and keep it fairly informal. So right. I certainly get up and speak to begin with. I yep. welcome everyone there and just give them a bit of a background as to the idea why. And then we'll have a couple of our staff. And this one was probably a bit longer in the formal part because yep. there was a bit of a catch up. But we had someone from our economic development team who gave a presentation in relation to the opportunities that are happening in Dubbo. So we talked about some of the opportunities with the renewable energy zone, yep. some of the mining opportunities, some yep. of the like construction North work. precinct sort of thing. The North precinct. Some yep. of those different things that are happening exactly right. Listen to you, you old expert. Yeah, hey, listen, I'm starting <laughs> to pick up this lingo. Hey? <laughs> so, and that's, that's a really good point, though, because mm. some of those different development opportunities for land around Dubbo were outlined. But that wasn't so much in the economic development part. That was really what's happening to our economy. And then we had some of our planning staff get up and talk about some of the things like the Northwest Precinct, mm. some of the other development opportunities that are around Dubbo. And then, and some of those involve some of the developers in the room because some of them own some of those parcels of yep. land. We also had a discussion or, or a presentation by one of the real estate agents there who just talked about some of the tenancy laws, okay. the changes there. Yep. Now, there is some thought that some of these tenancy laws will change and that might maybe put people off some investment in rental properties. So there was basically just a bit of a discussion. Mm. Be aware of this. Yep. You're in the development game. You're selling so there's a lot of information sharing being, being Correct. done here. Yeah. And then really it was just discussion of that. We had some Q&A. Then I, I basically took some Q&A. So okay. people just had some various questions about different opportunities, different things that are happening. And then it was really just an informal discussion afterwards. So mm. I saw developers talking amongst themselves and developers talking about staff and mm. asking different questions. Networking is the word, isn't it? Exactly they, they right. Yeah. But I did yeah. actually talk to a few developers in that informal part and the most common comment I heard was, gee, I didn't know about area XYZ. I didn't know about some of the opportunities. Didn't mm. know about how many people were going to need to house. They just were aware of things that were happening in Dubbo, but just laying it out step mm. by step. There was a bit of excitement in the room. I That's think great. by the yeah, end of it, yeah. yeah. So we'll run these. My plan is to continue to start these up again. We'll run them triannually, not right. triannually, yeah. triannually. So three times a year, basically, yes, not yes. not once every three years. <laughs> and so about every four months or so, because enough changes in a four-month period mm. that we'll see things change and we'll have more to update people on. But also, we'll once we've done that from a council-led presentation, we'll get more developers standing up and telling us about their developments and where mm. they're headed and the timeframes around those. So pretty exciting. Yeah, I like the idea. Media normally come along. We didn't have any media there at this one, but media normally come along mm. as well and they might pick up some different stories for things that they think their readers and listeners might be interested in. I look forward to hearing how this goes. Well done. Now, I know it's not the uh, actual time of the year yet for the budget because normally I'm thinking that comes up around around June, I think. It's probably around about that's a normal sort of time frame and most people sort of set their financial budgets towards the end of the year. But it sounds like there's plans are on the way to actually to to present the budget. Now, I'd imagine there's a lot of work that gets put into uh, presenting a budget to council and, you know, where's the incomings, the outgoings and what the potential expenditures are going to be and where we'd like to spend it. So it sounds like plans have started for uh, the financial budget this year, Matt. So what's happening with that? We've held our first workshop. We've only just, okay. just hit Very March. Good. Very good. And we've held our first workshop. Now, you're right, the budget will finally, hopefully, be approved by councillors yes. towards the end of June. That's the normal time frame. You're working in financial years, mm. so you work on that process. But here we are at the beginning of March, and we've held a workshop. Now, that workshop was very high level. It's a snapshot of mm. how we're progressing this year 
and basically just to get councillors starting to think about the budget. Also, you've got the directors of the various areas of yep. council who are sitting around that workshop as well. Just they, to th- sorry to interrupt you there, buddy. Do they all present what they would like to have as their budget as well? Is it just sort of from the point of view of how the budget operation works? Do the directors come forward and say, listen, the next financial year, I'm going to need X amount of millions of dollars to, to run my department and uh, this is where I'd like it to go. Do they have the input into this? Is this how that works? Or Almost. So not quite yet. The, right. This first one was really a snapshot of where we are so far and here are some estimations over coming years if things basically just went along the same and you had CPI applied. Mm. And so it starts off with that. What we'll do, and, and I've got a bit of a timeline here for you just to give you an idea mm. of the process there, cool. but... Our directors do, exactly as you suggested, do come along and say, well, here's what my department, my area, wants to plan for this next year, and here's what I'd like to see in budget. And there's Mm. a bit of competition there because Mm. a director in one area might say, look, I'd really like to see this project, but then another director, and ultimately it comes back to councillors to make decisions Mm. about where that money goes. Now, we don't say, you need to go and buy five widgets from Widgets R Us, Mm. but we set the budget, we set the policy, we set the parameters for that. Obviously, you've got over or about 500 full-time equivalent staff there at council, so you can't really have 10 councillors in at every hmm. decision along no, the process, no, but right. you need parameters, you need those policies yep. in place. So the timeline works roughly like this. We started with the first workshop already beginning of March. So that was a high level, here's where things sit, start to think about things, start to think about some big picture items and some areas and see where we're headed. We'll have another workshop at the end of March. Right. So again, that'll be an internal workshop where it'll start to drill down a bit further. And then on the 13th of April, we'll have our third workshop. Now, that one is the deep dive. That's when we really start to get down to not quite line by line, but pretty close to going and looking at individual line items of the budget Mm. to see where we can use our money better, where can we save money, where can we spend money to get the best outcome. So do councillors become involved in that process at that point? All of of these. From the right from the start? Yep, so all councillors were at the – all councillors invited, not all could make it, but they're all at that first workshop and they Mm. get the information from that first workshop – second workshop on the 30th of March they'll be there 13th of April definitely and then on the 27th of April that's when we'll actually take our proposed budget to a council meeting so after we've been through the three workshops and we've put our ideas forward and we've massaged it all Mm. we've come up with something and again we're always aiming for a zero-sum budget but we've got a bit to make up from some previous years so we're typically aiming for a slightly positive budget to basically repay some of that money that was taken out of some of our internally restricted assets Then on the 27th of April, you'll have the meeting, the council meeting, that will adopt the budget for public exhibition, not for this is what it's going to be. Here's our proposed budget. goes out in public exhibition. Basically, throughout most of May, it's on public exhibition. Right, okay. People then can put their thoughts and ideas in. They can make their submissions. They can say, what about this? And you should be spending money on that. And I encourage the public to put those submissions in, but I also encourage the public to say, if you want to spend money on this area, Mm. tell us where we should take it from because it's not an infinite bucket. It's a finite bucket. And if you take some from one project and put it to another project, well, which Mm. project are you going to take it from? Mm. Not everyone does that. They just say spend more money on whatever it might be. It's just the nature of the beast, isn't it? It is a bit. Yeah, that's right. But I I do say to people, think about it like your home budget. Mm. One of your kids says, hey, we should get a new 85-inch TV in the lounge room. Okay, great. Do you want to not eat veggies for the next month? Mm. Well, that's probably a bad example. Kids would probably say, sure thing. <laughs> we'll cut back of the takeaway for this month. <laughs> that's right. So you, you, 
going to spend yes. it in one area, you've got to take it from somewhere That's else. That's right. Then after we've got that time frame of basically most of May with it on public exhibition, mm. then it'll come back. We'll look at it further. Our staff will look at it further. And then the council meeting on the 22nd of June will be the meeting where we're aiming to adopt that budget. Now, what I've seen happen in the past is sometimes you get towards that last meeting in June and for whatever reason, there's still a bit of discussion, mm. a few more points to change, some issues to work out. So sometimes you might not make the final decision on the final budget then, but it's got to be done this financial year ready mm. for the 1st of July. So sometimes you might hold an extraordinary meeting. Now, that extraordinary meeting might go for all of 10 minutes because you might have to thrash a few things out and then we make those changes to the mm. final budget. And so, for example, you might have on the 29th of June or mm. whatever it might be, an extra meeting. There's no plan for that at this stage, but things can change and yeah. there might be some further discussion to be had. So that's the, the rough timeline at the moment. We're talking about uh, income for council in the order of $200 million. I was going to say a couple of quick questions for you. The first one is, so what, what is the actual incoming for council? What's, what's the income base? Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that in more detail, but it's getting up close to $200 million okay. will be the sort of budget. And when I say, someone says, what's the budget worth? Yeah. Well, it depends what why you ask the question, ideally I want the budget to be worth zero. I want the income and the expenditure to yep. marry up and you end up having a, a net zero budget. But obviously, So was the expenditure last year above the incomings? Is that what you're saying? Or? So in the three previous years before this new council was elected, yep. we had about a negative $20.3 million operating budget. So a deficit, okay. if you like, a $20 million deficit. That was deficit. each year, was it? Or? No, that was over those oh, three, three years. years. Okay. So that left a $20 million hole mm. in the budget. Now... Again, I would normally, as a councillor in the past, I'm normally aiming for a zero budget. You probably want to be a little bit in the black because that's mm. a little bit better than being a little bit in the red. But if if you end up with a budget that's $20 million in the black, mm. then you say, well, what was the good of that? Mm. Ratepayers paid money. So you got money from various government grants. That's right. Needs. That's Why right. do you spend the money? Obviously, $20 million in the red is not good because that's not sustainable. You mm. can't go on forever like that. So we set our instruction now, again, we're already halfway through a budget period when we got on the council. So we didn't have really any chance to influence that budget. Mm. And the budget at the end of last financial year was a little bit in the red, but we said, we made it quite clear to our staff, our planning was that we wanted to get back to zero by the end of this financial mm. year and then start to be aiming to be in the black in a small way over the next year and couple of years in advance to mm. basically fill back in that $20 million hole, yep. which is not ideal. It's nicer. It's more fun to spend money than it is to save money. Mm. <laughs> but it's one of the things that I, I think, think the whole world's sort of facing that issue right now, aren't we? At yeah, all they are. Of government, so. That's right. But yeah. we think to be financially responsible in the future, when we hand mm. this council over to the next group of councillors, we think we should put them in a better financial position than we're in now, mm. which didn't happen in the last council. So that's our aim. This financial year we're in at the moment, we've still got obviously four months to go with this financial year, but we should come out of it mm. about zero, maybe slightly in the black, which is great. That's where we want to be. And then this budget we'll work on again, we'll be aiming to be a little bit in the black mm. again. Well, it certainly sounds like there's some plenty of things we can uh, continue to talk about over the next few months in regards to it. And I'm sure there'll be some specific inquiries and some specific requests from many people about how we might spend I some of those I would say undoubtedly. Uh, look, we started at the top of the program with sports. I think it's only uh, worthwhile we jump back in a little bit more sport. Now, uh, this weekend, uh, the Little A's held their uh, another combined carnival here in Dubbo, that wonderful facility over there uh, at the Barden Park. Yeah, what is it, that state athletic sort of complex, isn't it? It's absolutely mm. magnificent where they're just about to put the new million-dollar track down to, I think. 
that's uh, coming down. Is that I think it's part of the, the deal, isn't it? Is that right with state government over there? Yeah, that's right. So we've got that International Standard Athletics Trek yeah, yeah. 2014 from memory that was opened. And it's this always week, yeah, sorry, buddy. It, it's always talked about that you need to resurface those tracks about every 10 years to keep it to that international okay. standard. So we did get over a million dollars from the government to actually do that. But we won't do that probably until next season because yep. there's a fair bit of planning involved and then you've got to shut the track down for a period sure. of time. Yeah. Yep. So anyway... I've, no, that's right. I've, I've no, no, I'm glad you clarified that point. It's very important. But of course, this weekend uh, with this big carnival... Now, again, last weekend we had 7,000 people in town. This weekend there's another 3,000 people have come to town for this carnival. So talk it through. This one's a little bit different though, isn't it? It's uh, it's not probably necessarily the, the normal way a athletics carnival is run. It seems to be more heptathlon, decathlon sort of base style events. Yeah, it's called a combined carnival. Okay. So they run a state uh, multi-event or combined carnival where basically your athletes come along and there's different events for the different age groups because obviously there's a whole range of different age groups with little athletics, but there's different events there and they run those various events over the two days of the carnival and then each age group gets their first, second and third based on the combination of those. So right. your example of a heptathlon, decathlon is a perfect example. They run it in that style where you might be a fantastic sprinter yep. but you're not that great at long distance or you're not fantastic. So it's like an accumulated points event. Yeah, that's right. So it, it rewards the all-rounders, yeah, if right. you like, of the event. Yeah. But you're right, from a external point of view, you mightn't have kids involved in athletics. You just go, oh, there's Barden Park there, whatever. But that's 3,000 people mm. injected mm. into our community. That's at least for two nights because it runs Saturday, Sunday. So people typically are going to turn up on yep. Friday and then maybe go home Sunday night. They might stay Sunday night because it's a bit dangerous wherever they've got to drive back to because this is people from across the state. And yes. that's the thing that I always... Could be an eight, 10-hour drive, isn't it? That's yeah. right. It's, that it's always fantastic. And again... When I and I had to go along and do the opening for this one, they were officially welcome people to Dubbo. But as I look around, there are that many different colours of uniforms as people are there from uh, clubs, got, literally. They just the love state. a state carnival at the best of times because of that factor. And you see all the different colours and the different groups and the people coming in, and yeah. uh, oh, it's wonderful. And yeah. it's also the standard is obviously very high. You've got yeah, people from yes. across the state, but in the under fifteen age group. They use this for the selection of the New South Wales team wow. that will then go and compete at the Australian Athletics Championships, which is mm. next month. Mm. So if you think, oh, yeah, you'll just see a few people having a bit of run around. No, these are serious kids. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And in all age groups they are, but in the under-15 in particular, yeah. there's a real focus on that representation in the New South Wales team. So that's pretty exciting as well. But wasn't there – there was a young fellow the other day uh, somewhere. I'm just trying to think of the time frame. Broke the – wasn't it the mile? Um, he was only 16 years of age and uh, did some incredible time. Like uh, we go back to the old uh, Roger Bannister time, Herb Elliott sort of stuff, <laughs> yep. and he was busting that and, yeah, right. and beating it really easily. Yeah. And, of course, he was 16 years of age. And you do see some of them in those slightly higher age groups in little athletics age mm. groups, so mm. the, the kids that are 15, 16, 17 age groups. And, yeah, the times and the distances that they're doing are pretty close to adults. Yes. And it, it, what I really like about what I really liked about the Touch Footy last weekend, just walking around there, yeah. you see a bunch of fit people. The kids look very fit and athletic. Yeah. And it's, it's, I suppose, uplifting to say, well, we could all be like that in That's society. Right. That's right. We probably need well, to work hard. Well, like we, we keep trying our best every Saturday morning at Park Run. That's but right. uh, <laughs> I think our days of trying to break a one-minute mile, I think are pretty well gone. Uh, <laughs> a a, a one-minute mile, very impressive. Maybe four-minute oh, mile. Four-minute mile, yes, yes. That'd be one-minute mile. Gee, I'll tell you what, that would be impressive. That would be very impressive. <laughs> 
Howdy on back down there to Wellington. Now, of course, the Wellington Vintage Fair has been going on this weekend. Um, look, I don't think I've ever actually been out to the Wellington Vintage Fair, and I think I've done myself a disservice here because this sounds like an absolutely extraordinary event. There's, uh, I, look, when I was over in London, we went to a place called the Portobello Road. Now, you may know Portobello Road, and they have a lot of the antique markets set up down there, and it's, it's a magic place to go. Saturday morning, thousands of people walking down Portobello Road looking at all these antiques. You pick the antique roadshow TV show. Well, that's what this is all about. But it sounds as though this is Wellington's own version of this, and probably then some, I suggest. So, <laughs> so talk us through it. What happens over there in Wellington this yeah, weekend? Quite incredible. On Saturday was the street parade. Now, I couldn't get the street parade because I had some other events, including the Little Athletics Combined State yes, Championship yes. I had to be at, and another event that we'll talk about shortly that I had Excellent. to be at here in Dubbo. But I made it across on Sunday for the Vintage Fair, and it's just it's quite incredible, actually. You go to the Vintage Fair, and you start looking at some of the things that people bring along. Now, they bring along a whole range of different things. It's like a big swap meet if you like. Okay, right, right. But you start out and you look at a few things there in the first part of it, it's at the showground there, mm. and you think, oh, that's quite interesting and that's fascinating and you look at a few other things and then you go, oh, there's a bit more stuff and you look at a few more things and yeah. you kind of look up and you go, it seems to be going for a fair going bit up the hill there. Up. There it is. And just some of the variety of things and what people collect. That's what I always get amazed yes, at. Yes. So they might be hubcaps that people collect and you think well that's not that exciting but then you look at the array of hubcaps and the history of the hubcaps and the story behind some of these hubcaps you go Mm. wow I didn't know there was so much in hubcaps and you probably don't see many hubcaps anymore do you but no no, that's that's right people are dying breed those things that's right but it might be enameled porcelain beer coasters or there are some cars people bring along cars on a trailer and they have cars and they have the story and they know the full history of that this real eclectic mix of of everything yeah absolutely right. right and it's got that Real atmosphere about it. Mm. Road trails are very heavily involved, and they'll be cooking some barbecues there. Okay. And so, be so there's eateries of, and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, yeah. There's, there's, there's the smell of bacon going out mm. as you walk through there. I love that. I just, I, I think it's one of those things that's been going for a long time, and I can't tell you exactly how long. I should know okay. how long, yep. but I just think it's one of those things that's a real part of the Wellington community. Mm. And I think you're spot on. You have done yourself a disservice. So mm. next year, next year you're going to put in my calendar. Make sure you go along to the Wellington Vintage Fair and the Street Parade. I haven't made it to the Street Parade before, but I'm familiar with those top of street parades. I remember seeing some in Stuart Town, for example. Does the Fowlerstein engine get a run in the, the Street Parade? Absolutely right. Excellent. You, you would see the Fowlerstein engine. You'd Wonderful. see a whole range of old vehicles. And the Fowler Steam Engine does sit there at the Vintage Fair, but believe it or not, there are other people that have their own privately owned steam engine oh, wow. that you can go for a bit of a ride on as well, oh, if wow. you like. So not it as big as the cool. Fowler. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it does. But it is. It's this whole big atmosphere. And I, I think it's really good. And I think yeah. it's one of those things that people in Sydney probably don't appreciate that we've got in regional areas. And mm. having said that, people travel from all around the region mm. to come along to these events. There might have even been some people from mm. Sydney. I didn't meet any people from Sydney there showing off some of their goods. There might have been people visiting. Yep. But uh, I think it's one of those things when you travel around to different things, it's really that nice community atmosphere. Yes. And you've only got to pause, just stop for one second, and you'll be having a chat to someone, whether you want to or not, <laughs> about the things <laughs> yes. that they've got to offer and the history yes. of those things. And there's old farming implements there. You, you name it. Yes. If it's old, it's, it's called Vintage Fair after all. If oh, it's old there, so good. then yeah, there'll be something on display, something of interest for someone there. So, well, yeah, get along and have a look at the next, next one. Next year, I've already got it penciled in. <laughs> good work. Now, Matt, during the week, uh, you had the pleasure of going across there to the Macquarie Anglican Grammar School. 
And uh, this is something close to our heart, mate. Uh, looks like you're talking about podcasts. <laughs> exactly. Hey, there it is. Oh, this is something we're doing right now. Here it is. <laughs> so did you uh, enlighten them and pass on your uh, podcast wisdom to them, did you? How, how did it all go? Well, I did tell them that I'm not an expert on podcasts. I just do what feels right. And experience obviously counts for some part of it. But yes. they've got a really interesting project at the moment. They explore the idea that media sometimes focuses on the negative. Mm. And I did have a, an editor years ago. Sometimes. Who, oh, <laughs> who told me that he had the data in how many more newspapers he would sell on a day mm. when there was a negative story on the front page as compared to a positive story, which maybe there's a bit of schadenfreude in everyone mm. where they mm. want to see other people doing worse than we are, so they take pleasure in that somehow. Yes, yes. I don't know exactly why, but that's the harsh reality, unfortunately. So Year 10 are working on a project at the moment where they've been told to go out and find what they're describing as a gooden. So a gooden. someone that's yes. doing something good. Yes. And it doesn't have to be in the public spotlight. It just has to be someone that they think is doing something good. And their project is to do an interview with them that would be used on a podcast in less than seven minutes. So okay. basically find someone. Idea. It's not too long to talk about something, about what someone's doing, and yep. go and do it. So I talked to some of the kids there. One of them was looking at a minister in their particular church. One of them nice. was looking at their mum. Yep. So they're looking at different people in the community. They're just seeing out there doing things. Mm. One was looking at a coach of their sporting team. Oh, wonderful. So the idea, and it sounds a bit daunting, and that was one of the things they were mm. a bit scared about, how you come up with a script for seven minutes or maximum seven minutes to talk about this. Mm. And anyway, I talked about a whole range of things about podcasts, but I actually said, I think you've got a podcast here. You could take, for example, say five of those stories each fortnight and put them into a podcast from Macquarie Anglican Grammar yeah, School. Yeah, absolutely. And so every fortnight you've got five new stories of people out there in the community doing something good in the yeah. community, and you've then got a series. Sharing and, and celebrating the stories yeah, of right. those who are doing their little bit for Australia and yeah. for Dubbo. Yeah. That's so it. Yeah. I, I like the idea, and I think I like the concept of looking for those people that are doing something good. It's not that hard to find them. Mm. I know when we see the nominations for things like Australia Day Awards or Dubbo Day Awards, there are so many people out there doing something yeah. great. So that would be fantastic. The other thing I did while I was there is they've got uh, an advanced program and they try and do some mentoring with some students that are interested in certain areas. Yep. And so there's one student there, a year nine student, who's in this program, but she wants to be a politician right. in her life, her later yes, life. Yes. And so she wanted to have some discussion with people that are involved in politics. And as a definition, the mayor or a councillor is not a politician. If you look at the actual politician, sorry, the definition of a politician it's someone who makes laws mm. and counsellors don't make laws. So mm. I've always been able to put my hand up and say, no, no, all those terrible things you say about politicians, they don't apply to me because I'm not... A lawmaker. Exactly right. <laughs> I'm not technically a politician. Yes. But anyway, she wanted yes. to talk about politics, which I'm happy to talk to her about. So Great. it was really just a discussion around politics, council, how things work. She had lots of questions there. So I thought that was a good program as yes. well. Just having people that have got a certain focus, a certain interest, yeah. and then they go and talk to people who are involved in that. And so I think they've got a few students in that program. They've got, for example, one of the students there who's going quite well in her junior cycling efforts. Right. And so she's ended up getting a mentor and some discussions with an Olympic cyclist. So oh, the school's fantastic. done well to yeah. tie that up. And then, and the real focus for those discussions were all about how you balance your cycling, your training mm. with your schoolwork to still try and do well, There's another school. podcast, let me tell you. No, that would be another that's podcast. That's another one, that's yeah. it. Yeah. Anyway, so I thought that was yeah. quite interesting. So well done to Mags on just trying to explore some different areas yeah. of learning. Here, here. Hey, 
Now, dear boy, I, I hope I get this right. Holly Meller? Holly Meller? Festival of Colours? Is that? Did I say that right? I'm not going to try it. I'm happy to run with, <laughs> with your <laughs> Boy, oh boy, I hope I got that right. If anyone's offended, my look, my sincerest apology. It is my bad. But I'm going with Holly Meller. So the Holly Meller Festival of Colours. Now, the Dubbo Nepalese community, in partnership with Oriscon, well, apparently they've put together this weekend a Festival of Colours. And I, I think I just love that the multicultural community with their festival of colours. They're such a colourful group in best of times, the Indian community, Sri Lankan community, Nepalese community. So tell me about the festival of colours. And funnily enough, you talk about the pronunciation there. When I was down there on Saturday afternoon, I did hear a number of people say it. Yes. And it felt like they were saying it differently each time. So, so. <laughs> so, there's some gonna, variation out there that's going to work. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. avoid it altogether. We can do the Australian version of it. But that's it. it is a, a festival apparently that celebrates spring, love and new life. Oh, nice. And obviously we've just Love moved, all of those. That's right. Well, we've just moved into autumn. So maybe we're doing it in reverse. Oh, that's it. That's <laughs> right. So who knows? But again, I think you're right. You've got all of these different cultures that we are getting together mm. here in Dubbo. Now, we've talked about it before, 18.5% yes. of our population, according to the last census, were born overseas. Mm-hmm. And that's a whole range of different cultures. Now, some mm. of those are similar to us. You might have people who are here from England or New Zealand or the US of A and similar cultures, similar backgrounds. So there's not a lot of different culture. And saying the word culture in the US of A is probably a bit dangerous. <laughs> I'm not sure there's Big a lot of Max, culture there. French fries. <laughs> My apologies to, uh, to, to any American US listeners out there. That's, that's it. Right. But when you then start to mix in, in this example, the Nepalese community, mm. but as you said, the Indian community mm. and the Bangladesh community and all these different ones. Yes. And I've been to various different events that celebrate different parts of their background, their culture. And that's what I love. I don't know about all of these different events and these different things on Mm. their cultural calendars, but I'm learning about them Mm. because they're part of our community. So what a wonderful way to share. So they come to our country and share in some of our cultures. They learn to go and cheer for Aussies. And I know whenever I do citizenship ceremonies, I get to say Aussie, 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 and they return with oi, oi, oi. So all of these things are parts of our culture, but then you're learning about other cultures as well. But it was a bit of a festival of colours. There were people running around throwing different colours around as you, you yeah. know, ran Wonderful. around the festival, Wonderful. like yes. you see in different things. I mean, we do that on Track and Riley Soccerway with different yes. things as well. But yes. again, people feel comfortable in our community to celebrate their cultures and know that they'll be accepted in our community. And that's one yes. thing that I do really love about our community. We open our arms and we say, look, as long as you're prepared to be part of our community, part yes. of our democratic society, our democratic processes, then come along, be part yeah. of us, as long as you, you really want to embrace what we've got here. And you know what I find with that as well is, is the reverse happens as well. It's when you go along to these events, they are so embracing you know, of us coming into their community too, yeah, yeah, which I find right. so beautiful as well. And this is where these events are so special. Yeah. So I'm glad you went along to that. That sounds fantastic. Yeah, thank you. So it, this, this whole festival has really captivated the Indian subcontinent apparently for centuries and that's what I I learned being down there and again it hasn't been here for centuries but I'm sure we'll see it start to build up and people become more and more interested in it a wonderful event during the week uh, Matt you attended the uh, the grand reopening of the breakthrough office now this, uh, this is a very special group here in town who do a terrific job don't they uh, in in working uh, in the area they work in, um, yeah. it's fantastic. So, and how did it go? Well, yeah, really good. And what they've got there is a building. In fact, when I was back at school, 
I went to school with Daryl Cox, and I was good friends with Daryl Cox. Okay, yes. And his dad. Shout out to Daryl. Yeah, his dad had Graham Cox and Holden, which was oh, on the yeah. site we're yes. talking about here for the Breakthrough Office. Yes. And I was actually went through it and had a look at the refit they've done and mm. looked at the various setup they've got there. And I was talking about the fact that. My memories in some of those areas, that's where the mechanics used to be because we used to go down there with Daryl sometimes mm. and it was very nice having Daryl as a friend because he used to get a lend of some cars off the lot sometimes if right. we wanted to go away to something. Yes. It'd be, hey, Dad, can I have a lend of a car, one of your trade-ins? And so we'd get these <laughs> yes. nice Holdens to drive around yes. in. For those out there, Holdens was a brand of car that that's right, used yes. to be so sold it, in Australia. Anyone sort of, I don't know, in sort of post what, I don't know. 1970s, you should still know what a Holden is. Yeah, hopefully that's right. <laughs> so it was it was a different setup, but it was actually interesting. I'll get back to Breakthrough in a minute, but what mm. I found really interesting was here's a location not far from the CBD of Dubbo. It didn't seem that big now when we're looking at it because it's now office space and some good car parking out the front, mm. but that was a major dealership. Back in the 80s mm. and 90s, Holden was a, was a oh, very popular absolutely. brand. So yeah, this was yeah. this Peter was, Brock, you name it. Yeah, it is, that's yeah. a good point. That was yeah. the Holden dealership for this region wow. was yeah, sitting right. there at that location. So you can imagine there probably weren't that many, it looked like a lot of cars to us when we were there, but yes. probably weren't that many cars sitting around out on the display. It probably wasn't that big a mechanics area where they used mm. to do all the work on those vehicles, mm. but that was the Holden dealership. Yeah. But again, you look at now how Dubbo's changed and how Dubbo's grown, mm. and you've got to the point where that's now office space and it was set up in a certain yeah. way for office space, but office space with some car parking. And, of course, yeah. the car dealerships are over on Burke Street and obviously much larger than they used yes. to be then. So yes. it's almost like Dubbo is growing up. The whole region's growing up a bit. But so Breakthrough, I've actually been to some presentations with Breakthrough, and obviously Breakthrough, they're dealing with NDIS clients. So yes. they've got some people that aren't as fortunate as others, but some may say they're more fortunate because what I find when I've been along in this event wasn't this type of event. But it was, I've been to previous events where they're giving out awards or certificates for people that have done well. Mm. And I walk out of there just feeling uplifted yeah, because yeah. people are so excited to win something, so excited it's to wonderful. be part of the community. They'll come and you, you hand them a certificate and you go to shake the hand, but they'll give you a big bear hug instead. And Isn't that lovely? Yeah, yeah it is. is. And yeah. so when I say maybe not as lucky as other people in society, mm. in terms of the the love and the... Yeah, that the, emotional giving, isn't that's it? That's right, yeah. that happiness they have. You mm. might say they're twice as lucky as the rest of society. Yes. But I think Breakthrough do a really good job. They've got 23 offices across the eastern seaboard. Oh, okay. They've got that office now, the way that's been set up, and again, having a look through there, just the changes they've made and the way they've got it set up to cater to their clients looks like it's really well designed. Mm. Talking to their CEO and their chairman, they're going to use Dubbo as a bit of a pilot to start to do some refits on their other offices oh, across okay. the Eastern Seaboard. Oh, well so, done. They're, yeah, they're yeah, really yeah. using that experience in Dubbo first to see how they can do it better across everywhere else. But, yeah, look, a, a good event. And, and again, well done to mm. Breakthrough for the great work they do with the range of clients that they've got there. Yes, absolutely. Just a quick little one here. This is a little update here in regards to uh, Saxa Road. Um, now, we talked about this last week in regards to, I think it was $1.3 million uh, was given towards the Saxa Road uh, fix-up, I'll call it, um, over there near Wellington. Now, of course, it looks like here during the week there's been some more money given um, towards this road. So this is fantastic. So what's what's the latest update? What's the news release on this? Listen to you, council expert. Roll on that number. Oh, 1.3 million a year. I'm There's a couple of uh, those <laughs> jargonal terms and money financial figures I'm throwing around here today. I might have a stand for next election, I think. <laughs> <laughs> so you're spot on. We received $5 million from the government and then 
council or was it the most recent council meeting decided to put 1.3 of that five towards Saxa Road. And that was good. It was needed. And mm-hmm. that's not going to finish fixing Saxa Road, but it's a good chunk of the way. Yep. But then during the week, the state government announced another $1.74 million specifically for Saxa Road. That's so great. That's we really put good. in applications for general funding that we make use of in whatever way we see fit mm. but we also make applications under different programs and sometimes it does get confusing because there are so many different programs to yes, apply yes, for yes. but we make specific applications for different programs now this was one under the fixing country roads program now you would probably think that could apply everywhere wouldn't that's you right, but, yeah, but that particular program roads could have probably done the uh, work <laughs> quite <right>. as well <laughs> and, and there are particular parameters or specific parameters that mm. you've got to look for so making sure that funding applications you put in can fit the criteria for those funding buckets is always a bit of a challenge. So yes. you're always looking at this, and that's what our staff are doing, making sure that any opportunities we've got to apply certain money or, or uh, certain grant programs, if you like, mm. uh, put in certain applications there. So we put in this application, and you never know whether you're going to get them. We have a reasonable success rate. Yeah, but I think you have a – actually, from where I'm sitting, I see this as even above reasonable. I think you guys do incredibly well. Yeah, and I think you're probably right. I'm, I'm just trying to be modest there. No, but <laughs> but I, I'll uh, put the glowing comments in. Thank so you, go, thank there you. you go. But I think one of the things that's important in there is that it costs money mm. to put an application in. Now, I don't mean you've got to go and pay money to the government to say, here's my application fee. But obviously, it takes staff time mm. to go and put those applications in. You don't want to be putting in – random applications that you've got no hope of getting. You want to put in applications that you think at least you're a reasonable chance of getting because mm. it costs money. But also, you've got to look at the different programs and what might be associated with those. Can we deliver the program? If we actually get the money, mm. do we have the capacity to deliver on that? And there are other programs where you've got to match them dollar for dollar. So we might get $100,000 for this, but you've got to put in $100,000 of council money. So we may decide not to put in that application because we don't have the money on the other side of it. This mm-hmm. one was one that was really important. Obviously, Sackett Road is a yep. very important road. It wasn't needing to be matched dollar for dollar, so that's good. Yep. So it's an extra $1.74 million that we'll have for Sackett Road. And again, that will go towards contributing to the fix-up. There's a lot of work that needs to be done yeah. on Sex Road there. So really good result, really good outcome. And for people that live down there, it can't come soon oh, enough. Absolutely. Nice and nice shout-out here. Talk about shout-outs here today. Um, I love the fact, Matt, that you actually get out and you're meeting a lot of the kids in the community. Because I think that's a really important part. We spoke about this uh, you know, on a number of occasions, uh, how you get out and meet and greet. And it is an important part because it, for the kids particularly, I think it's a way for them to see, oh, this is my way of attaching myself to the, the way that the big world works. And the big world is also part of you know, the councils and, and the systems of government and all of that. So when they get to meet the mayor, this is fabulous. So it looks like you met uh, a lovely little uh, student here during the week, a year four student, who it appears to be was the grandson of the former mayor, Alan Smith. Yeah, that's right. And one of the things that used to happen in the past, and COVID put a stop to it, but I'm sure it'll be revived again, was that about year four at school is when you study government. I'm not sure specifically local government. But yes, year, year four would start to kick off a bit of local. I think they go into federal about year five, six. That's right. right. So what used to happen when I was mayor previously is that just about every school in Dubbo would bring their year four class along and they'd sit in the chamber and we'd have a discussion about local government and I'd meet with them and talk to them and the teachers would have a few questions yeah. and the students would have a few questions. All be all these listeners out there nodding their heads now going, yes, <laughs> I remember it well. And yeah. I actually really enjoyed that because, yes. as you said, they're 
they're thirsting for knowledge and they've learnt in the classroom about some local government. But then when they come along and hear you know, at the coalface exactly mm. what happens there and the kids have got some great questions and they trying to get their heads wrapped around the different levels of government and who's mm. responsible for different things. So mm. that's all fantastic. But again, during COVID that hasn't happened and I didn't meet with any groups last year, but again, I hope to have that revived this year. It's not something council's blocking. I think it's just the mm. teachers and, and schools getting back up to speed with things post-COVID. Yes. But in this particular one, uh, there was a, a young boy who is very keen on local government, very keen on, on. learning more about local government yep. and also happens to be a big fan of electric vehicles, and in particular, a Tesla. Oh, jeez, it, I know the bloke you should be talking to. <laughs> and as you said, his grandfather just happens to be yeah, former Mayor yeah. Alan Smith. So Alan rang me, and, uh, and look, I still talk to former councillors, former mayors on a semi-regular basis. So yes. Alan, Alan rang me and he said, look, I need a favour. My grandson, they're not looking like they're lined up to go through and look at local government and go to the chamber, but he would absolutely love to see where his grandfather used to be mayor and just have a talk about Wonderful. things council and so he came along and we met him at council chambers I showed him the council chambers we had a photo of Alan when he used to be mayor hanging on the wall there that. so absolutely Alan, loved it. Alan was quite funny he said how many minutes ago did you put that photo up <laughs> and I had five before you turned up there <laughs> but his grandson was quite impressed Brushed away the dust that's right that, uh, that there's his photo of his grandfather hanging in the chambers there uh, but he had lots of good questions as well about council about how it operates what do I do what do yeah, I do yeah. all day yeah. all sorts of things that he was what do you do all day how long much time did you get into <laughs> <laughs> I said I mainly spend all day meeting with year four students. Yeah, that's right. Said, oh, really, that's pretty impressive. So <laughs> do a bit more than that. Uh, but then, of course, he had a ride on the Tesla, so that was oh, all, okay. You got a ride, good. Yeah, yeah, yes, all good yes. fun for him, and and he was quite impressed with that. But it's interesting too. I think teachers are doing a really good job educating the youth of today for the solutions for tomorrow. Mm. And when he talked about it, before he even gotten in the Tesla, when he talked about it, he just said, oh, I don't understand why people are still driving around petrol cars because they really pollute the planet and they're destroying the planet, aren't they? And I went, this is what we need. Yes. And our generation to come through. Exactly right. Yep. Yeah. This is the solution. I guarantee that when that particular young gentleman, Will was his name, yes. when he gets the stage of driving a car, it won't even be a thought process for mm. him to buy a petrol car. Mm. Now, year four, he's got a little way to go before he gets to that age now. But yep. even my youngest daughter, we had all of our kids, they all had a vehicle as they got their P plates and had something to drive around. That was yes. all part of it. And they worked hard to be able to pay for that. And they all had hybrids. The first three mm. children had hybrids. Yes. But my youngest daughter had an electric vehicle as her yeah. first vehicle. And I remember talking to the car dealer at the time and he said, she's probably part of the generation that's just getting to the stage where they'll never know yes. a petrol vehicle. They'll never know the ownership of a petrol vehicle and spot on. Yes. I mean, she's at uni now. She doesn't have a vehicle there. She doesn't need a vehicle down there. But once she finishes uni and needs a vehicle, she won't even contemplate mm. a petrol vehicle. So for Will in year four, yes. absolutely oh, there'll be no thought process right. there. So the teachers are doing a good job setting kids up like Will for the future and where the future will be. And certainly the future won't be petrol cars. No, so, not at all. Anyway, good to see Will there. Thanks, hey. Alan, for bringing along Will. Good on you. Shout out to Will. Now, during the week, uh, Matt, you had the chance to go along to St Bridget's Church uh, to attend, uh, I, I won't call it a service, I'll call it a, a, a gathering in an ecumenical sense of the different religious groups here to celebrate uh, the day of prayer. Mm. So again, this is sort of giving a bit of insight in the 
Well, you do. Like, like you do get around, don't you? You know, like uh, one minute you're talking to Will here, little year four student, taking me on the EV, and the next minute you're sitting in a church in an ecumenical service or an ecumenical gathering, let me call it that, yeah. uh, talking about the day of prayer. So, uh, was this an invite you got to go to this, or was this something you chose to choose yourself to go along to? No, or? they sent an official invite to okay. the, the mayor and councillors if they could make it along, and councillors couldn't make it along. It was during work hours, and most councillors or all councillors are still working, so it's hard to get many things in during work hours. It was at 10 o'clock on Friday. And it's actually quite interesting. Again, you get exposed to different parts of the community. And there was no official role for me to play there. It was really just to come along and be there. And they did ask if I wanted to talk at it. And I went, no, no, I'm just happy to be here as someone in the audience and just watching. But what was quite interesting, so it was a world day of prayer. Yes. But what they do here when they gather the various different churches together is they pick somewhere, some topic, some country, something to focus on. And this year they picked Taiwan as an area to, oh, okay. to look yes, at. Yes. And in doing that, they took some stories of some women and they had someone in the service there tell some individual stories of some w- women in Taiwan. I never know mm. whether it's Taiwan or Taiwan. but Oh, look, you say potato, I say <laughs> yeah, potato. That's right. So they basically went through and they told some of these stories about these women and some of the, the things that they'd gone through and just some of the processes there. And then obviously there were some mm. prayers said and a choir was there to sing some hymns and Again, it was just an opportunity to go along and be a part mm. of our community and talk to some people yeah. in our community and just something they're doing. There were probably 100 people there okay. in the audience. So it sounds like a very peaceful thing, I'd imagine. It does, yeah. yeah. It, it was, and there were some students from your school there who were going on yes. and doing a bit of a collection, although nice. I didn't give them any money because they were collecting cash, and who carries cash anymore? <laughs> so, so I pulled up my credit card to tap. Actually, go. I didn't pull up my there's, credit there's card. There's a call out there church. You've got to make a few more bucks for your gathering. Uh, take away the money option and put the credit cards down. You've got to put the tap option. Yeah, in, that's your yeah. tap option. That's but right. you're right. There are things happening in our community every day. Now, I might get exposed to 5% of that. Hmm. So there are so many more things happening in our community every day. I try and be across as many things as possible, but it, it is impossible, literally, because we've got such a varied community and such a community that is involved in so many different things, which is mm-hmm. fantastic. So I absolutely love being involved in the small way that I'm involved in it. And if I can mm-hmm. make a difference to a few of those events, fantastic. But I do realise that I only scratch the surface. Yes. And even the things we talk about here each week, yes. it really is a scratch of the surface of all the different things that are happening. That's right. Even while we're recording this right now, there are other things happening oh. out there that I should be at. And, yeah, and I'm taking an hour off the Hundreds of things literally this. going on, aren't they? Yeah, oh, there nice. are. Yeah. And it is, it, as I say, I feel in a very privileged position to understand and hear about some of those things and to go and attend some of those things. But it is a really exciting community to be a part Mm. of for all those different things they're doing. Indeed. Now, Matt, it's it's an interesting little one. This, um, every Saturday I I run past this. This is the the viewing platform there at the bottom end of Sir Roden Cutler Park. Now, it's been there for quite a while. Uh, It's it's a wooden construction that's set in place there. You can sort of look down over Sandy Beach and all of that. But it sounds like there's been some serious damage done to this viewing platform to the extent whereby it's going to have to be removed. Uh, Is this the case? Is this what Council's plans are? Are they looking at wanting to replace it or just simply remove it? What's happening here? At this stage, just remove it, unfortunately. Okay. We've had some structural engineers looking at a few of our assets after the series of flood events that took up the last half of 2022. We're looking at the Duke of Wellington Bridge. We've talked about that Mm, before. mm. We're looking at some of our pedestrian bridges, the Tamworth Street Pedestrian Bridge, the Shibble Bridge. So some of these different assets, we obviously, in terms of council, don't want to have an asset of ours 
have something happen to it that then causes harm to anyone mm. in our community. Mm. Obviously, safety is the number one issue. Absolutely. There's the area, again, yes. you talk about parkrun, there's the area at the moment where we're diverting people around tracker riding, going out around some trees yes. where some of the riverbank has collapsed. Now, you look at that, and I actually see people sometimes walking along the mm. part of tracker riding there, and you think, look, it's pretty close to the edge there, and it's unlikely to collapse tomorrow, but we're going to take a safety-first approach. So we're going mm. to divert people right around there in case it does collapse mm. one day. Now, this viewing platform, you're right, is a popular viewing platform. The bottom is road in colour. I've seen many people standing there at different times taking photos, yes. just viewing out across yeah. the area. The problem we've got is that as some of that riverbank has been washed away, where those footings go into the riverbank, the riverbank's not enough of it there to make it stable. Okay. So we've had some structural engineers come along and look at that. They've assessed that, and they've said, I can't guarantee or the company that we engage we can't guarantee that that viewing platform is safe for people to stand on now again i would not like to be the mayor of a council that has a viewing platform collapse with people standing on there Mm. injury death a whole range of Mm. things so absolutely i also am going to take a safety first approach to that and we're basing this on the information from a structural engineer now we talked about obviously is it something that we can repair can we make it better the problem is the way that platform was constructed initially relied on a riverbank being there. So okay. it was constructed in such a way that it had a riverbank to support it. So it's not as if we can do some simple repairs on it yep. because we're relying on a riverbank that's no longer there. So the whole there. structure of the, 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 the viewing platform has to be reconfigured and redone and a whole new design has to be put in, I suggest. You're absolutely spot on. So at this stage, we're demolishing it. We're right. not okay. going to replace it yet. I imagine there'll be some plan at some stage in the future to do something there but at this stage it's demolish it remove it all together it's not safe full stop and then if we want to build another one there it would have to be a completely different type of construction Mm. but we just don't have the budget to go and build another one at the moment we don't have the budget to demolish it but obviously we're going to have to move things around the budget because safety comes first even if we put some barriers up which we've got there now as i said with the track of riley sometimes people go around those barriers Mm. or they move those barriers Mm. or oh, I just want to get this photo mm. for my Instagram and mm. it'll be a much better shot if I have it, it on this platform. It won't take long. I'll jump on it quickly and I'll be off it, yes. That's right. So it's just not worth the risk from our perspective no. to have something there that could still be used even mm. if we block it off and put barriers up, whatever else. So well, Particularly now the fact, too, that you've had a structural engineer look at it and yeah. it's told you that it's not safe yep. and that you can't guarantee its safety. And if you kept it up, and it does, like this worst case scenario, and it does go down and someone's on top of it, well, all of a sudden you're liable because yeah. of the fact you've been told you, you, you have to remove this thing. It's not structurally safe. So yep. I can see the urgency in this as well. Yeah, and, and I think it was probably 30 years ago would be my guess around that sort of time frame that was built. And we've got new building code standards now. Mm. So the engineers looked at it and said, if you're going to build this today and the riverbank was still in its pristine condition, mm. you wouldn't be allowed to build that same platform. Oh, is that right? Building okay. standards yeah, have changed right. over that time. Wow. So again, it's it's not something we can just put a few band-aids on and it'll all be okay. So mm. we'll demolish that, we'll remove that altogether, and then we might look at doing something in the future. But again, mm. there's no specific plans for that in the future. It'll be just be part of our overall planning mm. and is a viewing platform justified there? If it is, yes, great, we'll do something with it. But at this stage, so again, this is, I suppose, the, the information for the community. Yes, it's a less than ideal situation, but from a safety and budgetary perspective, that will be removed. Yeah. It always has to take priorities. Well, Matt, it's been another busy program. Lots have got through there today, I suggest. Uh, 
And of course, we always finish our little program each week with your limerick. So, uh, I always like to say this, what have you got for us this week? Well, we've got Wellington has been a topic we've discussed Absolutely, a few times it's today. been front and centre in today's talks. And the Vintage Fair, which you didn't make it to. No, but next year, Wellington, I promise I'll get there. The Wellington residents will forgive you. So, the limerick, this is all about the Vintage Fair this week. Beautiful. Here we go. At the annual Wellington Vintage Fair... You'll find treasures beyond compare, from old records to hats and antique cricket bats. You might even find some old underwear. <laughs> that may be one stand I won't go to, but... <laughs> oh, good idea, Matt. Much appreciated. Well done, well done. Well, folks, that wraps us up again for our Merrill Memo for this week. We keep saying it every week, but get out into this wonderful community. Go and have some fun and enjoy what is this wonderful weather as well. Until next week, everyone, you take care. Merrill Memo with Matthew Dickerson from Dubbo Regional Council.